Welcome back to Kafaro Cast, everybody. We have a couple of mule deer slain machines on the mic today. We have Omni and Wesley Warner. <laughs> Is it Warren? Warner, sorry. Warner, I think. Warner, you got it right. Oh, I got it right this time. Yep. Aaron's across from me on the mic. We are talking about uh, something exciting these guys have coming out, some... Uh, Ninja feet. Ninja feet, stocking <laughs> stocking booties. Um, yeah, take it away, gents. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you bringing us on, and super good to hear from you both again. Good opportunity to just sit down and chat. And I know this has been something we've wanted to sit down and talk about for a while. Aaron, I appreciate you pushing me pretty hard to do something to get these things out there. Um, it's been several years in the making you've been pushing me pretty hard for a while so i just want to say thanks for for doing that first and foremost and, you know um i probably wouldn't have brought this product out to market because i'm not someone to i don't like to be in the light i kind of would rather be out in the dark and doing my own thing but i know you did push me pretty hard to make sure that we uh bring the product to market um you mean you don't want to be in the public side talk about it have like your whole life picked <laughs> apart, no matter what you say, Heck something will no. be turned negative. <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. know what the problem is. Heck no, man. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it at all. That's just not my nature. So, well, so. kind of go just so people understand what we're talking about. Uh, the, the company it's called, is it, is it, is it Gulo? Is that, and it means Wolverine? Yeah. So Gulo, um, and, and that's the name that we we went ahead and went with. And so we kicked around a lot of different options of what we could use um, for a company name. We wanted to go with something that was kind of unique. Um, but there's a backstory to it. We were hunting last year with my son on his elk tag. And as we were hunting, uh, he had actually just got his bull down on the ground. We were taking care of it. So here we are, I'm sitting here with a knife in my hand, hands are bloody as we're sitting here taking care of an animal, and he's holding on to one of the legs that I'm cutting, and he says, Dad, you know what the scientific name of Wolverine is? And I, I just kind of like pause and look up at him, and like, where in the world is that conversation coming from? And, and he says, well, and, and I turned to him, and I was like, nope, nope, Easton, I don't know what the scientific name for a Wolverine is. And he says, well, it's, it's Gulo, Gulo Gulo, Dad, is, is really what it's called. And, and I just looked at him like he would look at any 15-year-old boy and said, okay, son, sounds great. Didn't think two things of it until we got home, and he, he made me look it up because he knew he did, I didn't believe him. And, and so we uh, looked it up, and, and it was a pretty fitting name. Um, we'd been trying to kick around something to use because they're a wool stocking shoe, and you know, the Wolverine transit right over from that to Gulo just made sense and it worked out really well. Um, there's not many other names out there like that. So we went with it. And then the, the, the stocking, um, sock I've used or shoe or whatever you want to call it. I've used a bunch of, um, uh, of different ones and you, you kind of, I guess, catered this, like you can get some pretty, uh, you know, durable, uh, models out there that are that are louder and and then you can get like regular leather uh stocking shoes and they're they're a bit loud for for me and they're kind of heavy you went with more of like a like a, a lightweight but also about the most silent fabric you could get 
how much screwing around did you guys do with that? And, and for everybody, you know, listening, obviously, uh, Wes and Omni are what about a hundred yards apart in the street. You guys live side by side and hunt <laughs> all over the place. So you and you guys do a lot of mule deer. So you, you guys have a lot of background to design something like this. But what what were your thoughts on it, and how much screwing around did you do with it? When was your first set? Uh, stuff like that. So, Aaron, you know, um, if you recall, you and I were on uh, that backpacking hunt that we ran into each other, and that was the first time I met you in person. And you and I hunted the rest of that hunt pretty much together. You know, we would spot for each other. I'd put you out on a stock, you'd put me out on a stock. And throughout the rest of that hunt while we were hunting, I remember when the very first stock you went out and you were using a pretty well-known name brand, and you came back off of that stock and you threw those things to the ground and you're like, these pieces of, you know, they, they suck. Uh, they're loud. They're, I slip. I, you know, they suck. I, I hate them. And so you threw them down and you went back to just using your regular wool socks. And obviously over the years, um, Omni and I have done kind of the same thing as we've hunted the high country, um, hunting elk in the lowlands and in the timber. You know, we've, We've used a lot of different stocking shoes over the years, uh, to include obviously some leather stocking shoes, some, some handmade, um, you know, stuff made out of some synthetic material and, and different stocking shoes. And after that hunt that you and I had hunted together and blown stock after flown stock after blown stock, my feet were raw. My feet hurt. And, uh, you, you put me on so many stocks and then also in turn, I think you went on so many stocks that hunt. Um, we were dead tired of stocks. And I knew, I knew there is, there's got to be a better way. Got to do something different. And uh, when we came back, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so I actually, the first set that I made, um, I hand felted them. And I took straight up raw wool, uh, the raw wool roving, and literally worked it together until I could make a shoe out of it. And so, and get the right thickness that I wanted, do what I wanted to with the shoe. And I used those, uh, probably for about two years there afterwards. Um, and, you know, Omni and I tested and tried several different, you know, versions of it. We used them on his sheep hunt a few years ago. Um, I sent a set to you of that same type of material, but I knew that the durability just wasn't going to be there with um, a hand felted and besides that it took me like 20 weeks to make one set so it, it, was, it was one of those things that the durability wasn't took forever to make it set um, and so then we started playing with different materials I started exploring I reached out to several different companies that make a wool felted wool pressed felt and uh and I've got a stash, I don't know, here in my house with probably about 20 different pair of shoes that we've worked through until we got the product that's going to work the best. Um, it's, like you said, it's, this is not something that's meant to be a hiking shoe that you're going to go hiking up a 14er. Um, it's not intended for that. It's intended for that last 100-yard stock, 200-yard stock to close that distance and to be super, super quiet. What I used, one of the reasons, and mine made it through the hunt. I mean, they're still fine. There's a couple holes in the bottom. But I, w- I was in Arizona where I used them uh, mostly, and, and then uh, South Texas and the Davis Mountains. And I, I put a I, I put a sheep feed insole, a carbon insole, 
in mind and that definitely does not help long-term durability but it does keep cactus out of the bottom of your feet um in the in the high country they would last way way longer uh and they're still pretty dang durable but you know down there um where i was at i would have them on for four to six hours a day uh maneuvering kind of still hunting i mean a lot of, of of abuse plus i had that hard Mm-hmm. um you know insole in it but but overall i mean i think like you know when i shot my buck in in 18 with what you're talking about we went back in you guys weren't there i actually my toes blew through the front of my stocking socks um because it was so steep and that's with these don't weigh very much and that's what's nice is i can put one in each cargo pocket or i'll tuck them in my belt uh you know behind me in my pants and you don't yep. have to have that insole for, for high country that was just because of cactus they're just as quiet as a sock you can tuck your pant legs into them you're more maneuverable i don't have the toughest feet in the world so they give me a little bit more padding mm-hmm. but you guys um hunt all over the place for mule deer elk everything i mean how, how many different sets did you guys go through during during testing i'm, I'm assuming you and omni both were were working on them yeah omni do you want to do you want to talk any about that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Wesley touched on it. <clears throat> like, his hand felting was crazy how long he would take to do that. And so, like he said, we'd make a pair and we'd try something, and it was just like, well, it's not quite matching exactly what we wanted. And when he finally landed on the design that actually gives us the tongue that you can lace up so it can hold your foot in, you mentioned that, Aaron. It's like jamming your foot into the tip of a sock or into whatever your boot's wearing. When, when we added the, the lace, and the tongue that that's really kind of what made the difference um for the the build and the construction that we landed on the one thing that we did as well in the sole that there's actually a reinforced or there's two different fell bottoms there's a thicker felt bottom as well and you already figured that out Aaron. If, if your feet or if you're in terrain where you need a little bit more padding or if your feet are a little bit more tender all you have to do is get your favorite insole and put it in, into the boot as well and, and that'll add a, a little bit more comfort or arch support or whatever you might need to personalize for yourself. Yeah, it, it's obviously it not going to the cactus. It, it's not going to keep the cactus out of your toe if you decide to kick a cactus. We know that, right? But um, there, there's not unless you get a really good leather boot, you're gonna <laughs> you're probably gonna eat a cactus into your toe if you kick one. So yeah, I didn't have too much problem down there. I mean, I played stay fairly cognizant you know i'm not running around like an idiot not paying attention to where i'm standing but you know i get a few stick in from the side but the one thing that's nice is um it's not going through your sock like a sock right they may stick in there you may you know you've got a pretty good barrier for a cactus to suck up a quarter inch of felt before it's stabbing you in the toe uh which is super handy and i'd get back and just pull the cactus out with my leatherman at night um, if I had any in there, uh, as far as not just my foot, but the, uh, you know, the actual, the, the sock or the stocking sock, I think you put, I had, um, little sticky dealies on the bottom mm-hmm. line to help with, with grip. Did you keep that on the final set? We did. Yeah, absolutely. And that came about, yeah. And we had to, so that came about cause we were hunting in Colorado on the high country, right. And you're on the steep hillsides and you get a little bit of dew, a little bit of moisture. And I got back after one stock, and I'm like, I hit the ground so many times, Wesley was laughing at me when he got back because I couldn't even keep my feet <laughs> underneath me. And then when you get to the, you know, something that's somewhat level, like I was literally running after the deer, um, you know, because it busted and spooked out. So, yeah, it's like we needed to find something to give us a, just a little bit of traction so you didn't eat, 
eat it, um, you know, or fall out, your feet slip out from underneath you when you're on the steep hillsides. So we, we did add that to all of um, all of the shoe or the final product that you'll see now. Which, Aaron, as you know, so the same thing goes, like those leather stocking shoes that you're using that one time, they just, they're slick and snot. They're, they're like a slip and slide, right? The second you get on anything that's got some slope, and if that grass or whatever you're on is just a touch wet, man, you're going to slip and fall on your butt. And, and the cool thing about these wool is we have the ability to kind of embed a grip that we use that goes into the wool just a little bit, and it'll help uh, with that gripping. And, and so you're going to, you know, you're going to have a little bit more grip whenever you come to a wet grass or, or some, a steep slope and you're needing a little bit of grip. Yeah, for, for sure. Well, and, uh, for those who don't know, um, I guess they can go to your social media pages, but you, you guys are, are, are very effective at, at multiple different, you know, animals. And so sometimes I think when certain products get built, maybe it's, um, kind of a concept maybe from a living room or, um, n- you know, not applied. And so they're, they're, I mean, nothing wrong with, a um, a moccasin, uh, you know, type, type shoe it's just um it's the 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 grass it's it's almost as loud as as a boot and so for for us and I think Frank you had the same opinion when when you were screwing around with different stuff it was just like man if I'm gonna you know screw my feet up uh, I'm gonna be really quiet doing it I'm not gonna be like happy me I'm either gonna keep my boots on or I'm gonna go to socks because if you're not going when you drop off your boots you're not if you're not going as super as silent as you possibly can you know, there's kind of an argument to just leave your boots on because you're more more mobile. Where these are extremely, you know, quiet. But y- you guys kind of go over your history as far as hunting. Um, I mean, you guys kill giant elk and mule deer, you know, every year, sheep and everything else. But give everybody a little bit of background about that so they know they're not uh, listening to um, basically somebody who's full of shit. I don't know. I don't like to brag on myself again. I'll go back to that, Aaron. But uh, really, truly, we're, we we developed these out of the the need. Right. So, um, as we, we do hunt and we hunt a ton, uh, ask my wife, I probably hunt too much. Um, it really, it starts in August. It goes through until we run out of tags in the next year, you know, in January, March, February, just kind of depending on, uh, what tags we got in hand and living where we do, we have an opportunity to pick up a ton of tags. So we live in the four corners area. Um, we oftentimes hunt multiple states that allows us to draw, uh, multiple different, you know, species in multiple different states every single year. Um, I had three mule deer tags last year, one in Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. And I, I tease every now and again, I get lucky enough to go ahead and have that fourth state of Arizona. Last year I ran out of time. But um, that's what we call the four corners deer slam is to be able to kill four deer in four states, you know, in the four four corner states in the same year. And anymore, it's gotten hard to get the tags in your hand. Um, and so we're, we're pretty fortunate living where we do that allows us to, uh, to really jump on it and, and get lots of different tags in our hand. Um, and have hunted a lot and hunting and fishing since, since we could walk. You know, for a long time. I yeah, don't know, I our, our, anything else. Our, 
our MO, Aaron, is like we don't necessarily want the best tags. We just want to put a tag in our pocket. Like we'd rather just be in the woods somewhere hunting. And so a lot of the tags that we hunt are just general season units, general areas. Um, no doubt we would all love to draw a premium tag, and when we get those, it's a lot of fun. But we have not had very many of those. Mostly it's just it's trying to find a tag, try to find opportunities. Wesley and I love together. Um, there's just a chemistry that works when we're together. And, you know, generally we have success, whether we actually harvest something or we just have a blast in the field. The other advantage we've really had is, like, we've had um, – our, our kids have had lots of youth opportunities and, you know, whether that's in New Mexico, Colorado, or in other states. So we've always had the luxury or the opportunity to hunt with our kids on elk, deer, antelope. I think my kids have actually killed more antelope than I have. You know, I can't seem to draw an antelope tag, but my kids draw antelope tags. And then we've been fortunate enough to play the point game in different states. So when the opportunity rolls around, we've got enough points, then we draw in those other states, as Wesley mentioned. So it's just... It's about opportunities for us. Well, did you guys draw quite a bit this year? Wesley, Wesley has a boy that did really well, kind of made out this year. So we've, we've got, yeah, between we, Wesley and I, we both have elk tags, um, and then we both have deer tags. I, I actually drew an archery ibex tag, which we'll see how that kind of goes just because of the numbers on the mountain. And then I, I have an Iowa um, white cell tag as well. It's kind of what I have in my pocket right now. But Wesley, share some of the tags that your your kids drew. Yeah, so um, it's pretty fortunate. So both of my boys have archery, New Mexico tag, deer tag that they're going to be hunting together, and then they also both drew um, a Colorado rifle tag together. So they both get to hunt two different uh, states for deer this year. Um, my one son, he was fortunate enough to draw another antelope tag. So this is. Uh, would be his third out of four years that he's hunting antelope uh, in New Mexico. And, and as anyone knows, drawing a New Mexico antelope tag is stinking ridiculously hard. Uh, but he's been lucky to draw three out of four years. And then uh, he's also got an Oryx tag. So we're going to be hunting Oryx here in New Mexico this year. Um, and then he also was fortunate enough to pick up a a cow moose tag up in, in Colorado. Um, and you know, that was a little bit by mistake on, on his dad's part. I put him in for a moose tag, not knowing I was putting him in for a cow tag. Um, I was intending on just putting him in for, you know, a quality moose tag and landed on the cow. Um, he's super stoked for it. He's excited to be able to have the opportunity to hunt moose for the first time. And only other person in the family that's been fortunate enough to do that is all night uh, when when he was able to get get a tag up in DC and go hunt him. So we're excited for that. It'll be a lot of fun. Did yeah uh, you you guys yeah I mean overall like how many how, how many do you have in the squad between the two of you? So between uh, you know you and Omni, how <laughs> many how many how many actual people have a weapon in their hand through the season with your kids and everything else? I've got four yeah. in my house. I've got four in my house if I count my son that's actually married and out of my house. So both of my both of my boys have tags. My wife has a tag and then I've got tags. West and then in my house. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I, I got four kids, um and of the four kids, uh my three youngest hunt and my oldest daughter 
she did when she was younger, um, but it's one of those things that as she's gotten a little bit older, she's grown out of it. And, uh, it's not something that she, you know, she's tried it and she enjoyed it for a little bit, but it's not something she has a passion for like everyone else. Um, and so everyone, including my wife, uh, put in for and draw tags on a periodic basis. And it just, some years we're more lucky than others to, to land tags. Um, but that puts, uh, basically the five of us in my household drawing tags every year. So you guys have a lot of deep freezers. <laughs> we have a lot of freezers, so we, but you know the irony of it is we typically end up running out of most of our meat when the season kind of rolls around. Like that's our goal is to make sure our freezers yeah. are near empty. And when we do that, it seems to um, we seem to be blessed that our freezers get full again. So, well, you guys had a hell of a year Absolutely. last year. How did that? Uh, I guess year last year and the year before, but you guys. Uh, had pretty good luck with, with elk as well. What did last year end up looking like for, for you guys as well as your family? We did. We did. We we got kind of lucky for elk. So we, had, we all had New Mexico elk tags. There was three of us, me, Wesley, and one of my oldest son, Taylor. And, um, that, that's what we were planning on going and hunting that hunt. And I actually got, got an email at the last minute from Arizona and on a turn back tag. And so we had the opportunity to run over to Arizona real quick and hunt an archery elk hunt. I was able to take a really nice bull in Arizona. Um, didn't even show up until opening day of the elk season. Showed up to a unit yeah, but, by a blind, not, not even knowing oh, no, where to start. You, you got to point out the fact that we were hunting Colorado deer. And if we <laughs> wouldn't have got snowed and blown off the mountain, you wouldn't have yeah. even known that you got that email. So... You know, we're, we're right. one of those firm believers that things don't happen for chance. And so, Aaron, you know, if that, that freak storm that happened last year, if it, if it wouldn't have happened, we still would have been hunting high country deer. Um, but that blew us off the mountain. We came off, uh, re- regrouped, and we were actually planning on going back up on the mountain to finish out that hunt when I got that email, and we totally just shifted gears and changed mode and turned over to elk at that point. Gotcha. I do have one question. Were you knuckleheads wearing Solomon tennis shoes again when the uh, snow came in for high country, or did you, were you wearing real life footwear? <laughs> real of life of footwear, course, man. man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that was one of those things that was probably game changer. You 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 mocked me for wearing Solomon's on the mountain that one year, and I I made the shift after that, and I haven't gone back. Uh, Solomon's are good, you know, they fit, but. Man, the waterproofing blows out in, in a matter of a short period of time on those shoes. Omni, didn't you hike back out to change into a, a – didn't you have a tennis shoe on when I met you at first and you went back out and put kind of a boot on? I did the first year that we met. So, And that's I, tip, I typically do that. I'll kind of switch my boots if I get a chance midstream. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I, We're all a little bit different. Our feet are built different. But I really do like a lightweight – boots um, that typically doesn't have I say boot it's more of like a tennis shoe like you said uh, obviously I, how I roll I wasn't times. running around barefoot and naked as a kid is my problem so I never toughened my feet up <laughs> so I I just ran yeah. into a guy Cody Covey and I did uh fishing and he was he had the the tennis shoes on and I mean there was like three creek crossings coming in and it was raining and I, he was super, he's like, yeah, you know, I got tough feet and I've hunted everything in these. And I'm like, I don't, I just don't know that I could ever 
in good conscience leave the truck with a guy on a sheep hunt with with tennis shoes but then i got to remember you know my feet aren't as tough so i i you know i'm not going to i i can't personally do that but but you you've done i guess both of you probably some fairly extreme hunts in those those tennis shoes or or the the lighter weight stuff without issue i mean it seems like yeah that's i well and when i have my seat tag over an s9 i i think i actually wore um, a little bit stiffer boot. I think I wore Christie's during most of that hunt, um, just because the the rocky and steepness of it, and then heavy packs, right? So, you, and it's it's probably that combination. I think, Aaron, if I can keep my pack fairly light, when I say that, like under forty pounds, then I'm not as worried about it. But if my pack starts getting over forty pounds, I do want a little bit stiffer boot. And when we did the sheep hunt down in Colorado, it was um, that country was steep enough, and our we were carrying anywhere from seven to ten days worth of gear, so your packs are quite a bit heavier. And, and that's what I had explained to that guy. It wasn't the actual hunting in those that, that bothered me, especially for elk. It was I packed out four bulls the year I uh, tried that whole system. It's probably something. Remember the full moon production guys? They're your neighbors, winging arrows and shit all mm-hmm. over the place. Um, yep. <laughs> that's what gave me the – I'm like, man, those are comfortable. Well, then my my foot went from like a 10 and a half and 11 to a 12 magically because I crushed my mm-hmm. my arches from not enough support mm-hmm. so the hunting I agree I'm like man I I mean you can do it with lighter weight it's the you know the heavier weight on on that not to re back rewind back in time since um you guys are from the homeland remember when that full moon production first came out did you guys watch those Oh yeah. I, yeah, I watched one of those the yeah. other day with my son just to show him like high country mule deer. <laughs> well, uh, when, oh, that, yeah. when that first came out, I was like, uh, "Well, initially, I was thinking this isn't going to go well." But then I was also thinking, "Well, these guys—I mean, I, I mean, most high country, uh, not all, right? But most high country mule deer guys are a little bit different breed. You don't find as many of them, and they're going—they're going to take a little bit farther shots. Man, that caused like this crisis level uproar." on 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 any kind of hunt that you know social media wasn't out back then right it was hunting forums and mm-hmm. yep. it was uh like well i don't know if you'd say anarchy but when that first came out it, it was that was the kind of post that would get four or five hundred comments on it because of that that video um omni you were on i think both site back then when those came out weren't you a little bit i tried to fly a little bit low but i i watched a lot of that commentary or commentation going back and forth. I, I know exactly what you're referring to. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> you know, that's one of those things where to each their own, um, you know, and, and if that's their, you know, you got to be careful on how you judge other people and the decisions that they're making. And then it, are you reflecting your own personal views on them or is that your, your personal views? So. Aaron, it's the same thing about what you've experienced in the trad community. And there's, there's several individuals that have just totally embraced and, and, you know, took in your ideas and the things you've tried and like, hey, well, you know, let me, let me try that. Let me see how that works. But then there's other people that have just like, you know, kept their mindset etched in stone and they're just like dead set that, well, that doesn't work and that won't work. And it's the same thing as that full moon production guys. You know, some people just needed to open up their mindset about what, what works for them. And if it works for them and it's, it's working, let them do it. Yeah. And I've gotten, obviously I've calmed way down. I say obviously, but for me, it's obvious a calm down a lot and open-minded and not, you know, such a ding dong as you, you get older. But, um, 
Well, Omni, how old are you? I think you and I are relatively close to the same age. Yeah, I think I'll hit 45 this year. Yep, you and I are old farts. And then, Wes, you and Frank are... <laughs> Frank, what are you, 32? I'm 41. I'm 32. So, a, a few different age you know, brackets here. And when I look at things like the tennis shoes, like... I might, you know, say, hey, bro, you know, those things leak. You might want, but I'm not going to blast a guy for wearing lightweight mm-hmm. shoes. I'm going to give them the pros and the cons. Um, you know, a guy's like trying to shoot longer distance. Generally, you know, my thing is, hey, man, uh, you know, you, you know, you might want to not want to just dive out to 100 um, out, out of the gate and that be your goal. You know, your goal might be to be proficient at, you know, 40 or 50. Um, and work on maybe animal behavior and stocking skills and, and, and kind of become the most well-rounded hunter, you know, you can be one thing nice with you guys is the same as Frank is there's not a, there's no mountain too high. There's no, there's nothing that you guys can't tackle, uh, minus maybe lightning on your sheep hunt where you guys weaned out, uh, I'm just kidding, um, but there's pretty much anything you can handle. Right. I mean, and that has a lot more, I think, to do with success than shooting. Shooting is important. You want to be accurate. You know, you have bow dialed in. But if you can't get there, you don't know what to do with the animal, you know, the shooting part is kind of inconsequential. It doesn't, doesn't really matter that much. So having that total package is is important. Those guys from, you know, FMP, whether you agree with them or not, they did think outside of the box on a lot of different you know, things, they did get a pretty bad rep for some of the shots that they took. And, and I will say I made some comments about – you sure are spending a lot of time with your camo face paint to drop a hundred yard bomb. Cause they're like taking branches and crap, but you know, all in good fun. But I mean, there's definitely when you, if you see online a lot that a guy maybe that's hunted out West once, but more of a, of a, of a whitetail hunter, you know, he, he may throw some chime in quite a bit on a Western hunting uh, question where, you know, maybe good or bad. Quite, I mean, you kind of guys like you guys, uh, Frank and I, that have done it a lot more, a lot more experience, and going to be able to. You know, it's not a one-time experience thing where I'm basing it off a one seven-day trip. How much have your guys' views yeah. changed? You know, now that you're, you know, you've got as you've you've got as much behind you as you have in front of you in life. I, I, were you guys? How much has changed since you were 25 and hunting to your, your, your thought process now? Oh, a lot. You know, you, you, it's an evolution, just what you said, Aaron. It's just an evolution, and you just keep adding to it every single year. So for me to even think that I'm an expert now when I walk into the woods, like there's things we learn every single year when we go in the woods. But, like, I wish so bad that I could rewind to some of the first years in the high country or some of those first experiences because I would have made a lot different decisions you know, whether it's stock approach, whether it's the gear you're taking, um, just even the, the aggressiveness or when, when to make stock, all those things just kind of start building experiences. Um, and, and I very much feel a, that, like, my hunting today and how I approach things is just kind of a combination of all those experiences. We mentioned that earlier when you asked us where we hunt and what kind of hunts we go on. That's one of the reasons why we want tags in our pocket. Um, is, is yeah. you know, Wesley and I's philosophy is like, if we get a chance to go, lots of opportunities, lots of experiences, when you have the opportunity on a trophy of a lifetime, it, it's, you're less likely to have the buck fever, to be as nervous, you know how to execute, whether it's the shot, the stock, the clothes, the wind, it's all those things kind of come together 
um, culminating for that one experience that you're hoping to get a trophy of a lifetime. And, you know, Aaron, so, you know, the other thing too is, is it's, it's just about opportunity. And so I've heard a lot of people also talk about the philosophy of if you only ever draw that one premium tag in your entire lifetime, and you haven't had opportunity to make the mistakes that you need to make as a hunter early on, you're, you're just going to fail miserably when you get that premium tag in your pocket and, and you're going to have a horrible time. You're going to hate it because you're not going to have that experience under your belt. And so definitely one of the things that we love to do is just get out there and have as many opportunities as we possibly can. And you know, ironically, some of our biggest animals that we've killed have been in no-name units where other people aren't hunting. You, you don't have people hunting. And people, some people don't even know there's animals in those areas. And, and that's what, that what, is what makes it fun, is just make opportunities, have opportunities, hunt as much as you possibly can, um, have a good time doing it, and then learn from your mistakes. So... Aaron, I hear you talk about it all the time because I know that that really big wide buck that you and I chased is one of those animals that probably... Fucking had to bring up old shit, Wes. You son of a bitch. (laughs) I'm sorry, dude. Because, well, hey, you watched me at seven yards miss that buck, right? You talked about your 12-yard shot. I have told that that story, actually. Yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so I, I can relate, dude. I miss that same buck. That buck should be on one wall, whether it's your wall or my wall. It should have been there, right? But we screwed up, and uh, I learned a lot from that. I'll, I'll take those memories, and I apply them to the next hunt. Um, hold, hold on. If you we, remember, on that exact – go ahead. We got to rewind, so let's, let's talk about this deer for <laughs> a minute. So first <laughs> – Okay, so I pull the pull the scabs off. Pull the scabs off. Yeah, start uh, bleeding. <laughs> well, Frank and I had seen the buck early in the season, and I had posted a zoomed in photo, which you guys, which I won't mention, he's kind of real undercover brother, so we won't mention his name, but a very good friend of yours was the first guy I ran into. He took a poop right beside me when I'm on the mountain, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, those guys yeah. must see me." And that dude takes a crap, and I'm like, well, obviously he didn't see me. So I come down, and you, I, I don't think he was overly happy I was there. He goes, yeah, my my buddies told me uh, you'd be in here. And I'm like, well, how'd your buddies know? And it was that deer, because I posted that. And you guys yep. weren't, you were on it the year before, but I think you passed on it to let it grow a little bit. Yep. So, yep. <laughs> First, yeah, we're all, you know, for the four stooges, right? We're all three, uh, or all three of you are there. I'm there. We're watching and that buck beds with the, the buck. I ended up killing later in the year, that big three that was with him. They were like road dogs. You know, they, they'd bed butt to butt one head up, one head down. They're very smart. They got into a position which I, you know, I, we are all watching Wes on this stock and I did not know Wes is afraid of heights and I think definitely afraid of it. Omna, you mentioned to me is yeah. you're on a hundred foot cliff at full draw. Yeah. You were like, man, he's got to be freaking. He's afraid of heights. And I'm like, well, fuck, he can't be that afraid. He's on the edge of the cliff. And you later, well, I think Wes, you said you were a bit nervous because I I've been oh. up there several times. I mean, it's a, it's a hundred foot down. I mean, straight drop. It, it's, 
yeah, legitimately a hundred foot drop. I, I mean, it might be even more than that. I had pucker factors standing <laughs> on that cliff trying to take that shot. Mm. So you you yeah, hit the but, deer, but a oh, big go ahead. buck makes you do stupid things, right? Well, big bucks make you do stupid things. So. That's that's kind of where this story is leading to. You and I both almost died because what I did to get to it was not safe like if it was it was not and there's photos of it a guy I was with and when he saw me do that he when I got back to camp he's like maybe this high country mule deer is not for me because I did some cliffhanger <laughs> well when you get tunnel vision that much on on one animal or, or a couple different ones you know, I can't say everyone's like this but I'll, I'll do some pretty like I'm not probably going to die from a car crash or a bear. I'm I'm going to fall off a cliff. Is probably how I'm going to end up biting a bullet because um, mm-hmm. just doing yep. stupid things in cliffs. So Wesley shoots this deer. We're all watching it. We're trying to kind of assess the shot placement. Uh, you 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 wounded the buck. You got back on the buck several different times. You missed it. You said it was seven yards. Yeah. So, but back up for a second. Yeah. <laughs> you remember when I hit that deer? Okay. So that pucker factor is standing on a 100-foot cliff. As I'm standing there, I'm on a knife edge. So it's not just a cliff one direction. If you turn around and you take a slip, you're falling to another 1,000-foot side on the opposite side. You remember that knife edge. It sucks. And so as I'm standing up there, I'm trying to get my footing when I took that shot on that buck for the first time. And there's wind. And so as you know, the thermals in the high country are consistent. And they're just constantly blowing up in my face. And I had to take that shot. And my pin placement, I legitimately, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a little bit of wind drift on this shot. My arrow hit where I put my pin. And that was the first I, mistake I made on that buck. I remember you talking and about just, that. Yeah. It just killed me. Because if I would have placed my pin in the right location and, and just ignored the wind, um, I had just made a change in my setup. I, I had done a lot of shooting with those micro diameter arrows and a smaller uh, vein. And I knew I didn't have a lot of wind drift, but I legitimately hit exactly where I put my pin and I hit that buck back and I hit him and too far back. And so we watched that buck and, and continued to track him and, and put more stocks on him for the next three days after that. Right. Um, you guys put me in on that other stock on him and I got in, like you say, seven yards. I was, I got in tight. I was probably too close for a compound. I, I was wishing I would have had a trad bow in my hand on that stock, man. Gosh. Well, and what got yeah. you on that one? And this is something, you know, while we're telling stories, uh, the only negative side, in my opinion, to a, a true back tension release is when you've got shit running down both legs, you are putting more tension on that release and being seven yards from a, what it ended up scoring two oh three or one ninety six. It was good, but it's in the it was in the high one nineties when yeah. he was killed. What was that two years later? I don't even want to talk about it, but um, because I missed yeah. it, we haven't got to my miss yet. But um, so when you drew back, you were amped up on Mountain Dew, and right when you took your thumb off the button, the air it went off, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just went off as I was settling my pin. I was getting everything ready to go at seven yards and. And prematurely, that shot went off, and yeah, it stuck I'll, to I'll a tree right above shot. it, didn't it? Yeah, it did, <laughs> right between his antlers. <laughs> <laughs> so we we yeah. 
we all watched, you know, that, and obviously we, we had ne- none of us had ever had met. Um, and while we're making fun of you, I'll talk about my first miss. Now, after seeing um, Undercover Brother Poop, I come down, talk to you guys. You shoot the deer. We, you, Wes, you and I kind of hang out. Frank's another three miles in, I guess, in another area. Frank ends up, Frank, you got a buck on day 11. Then you day eight, seven. What was it? Day seven. Uh, yeah, I th- yeah, something like that. So now uh, Wesley and I are kind of partnered up, and then Omni and Undercover are, are partnered up. And when, whenever we'd see, obviously, Wes was grandfathered into that deer, in my opinion. You'd hit the deer. So anytime I found it, that was your buck to go after. And then Omni is going after some other deer. You, though, the first day, I think, before you shot that deer, we were coming out of this hellish hole. We're side hilling, and either you or I spotted deer. We dropped down, and you were like, "Man, that bucks." I think you. I think it was. We were figuring probably one sixty or something. But you were like, "Man, it's all yours. Go ahead." So you watch yep. me now. This is like my first high country mule deer with the stick bow, right? I killed a buck with yep. uh, Frank and sixteen at like four or five feet, but it wasn't high country. So I make this amazing stock, and, and at this point in time, I'm pretty accurate with the bow, but I haven't had as many different scenarios as I'd like, and I was using a point-on method, meaning if I was at 24 yards, I would put my, my tip of my arrow on its knee. Well, it was really rolling, and I don't know, how steep was that, would you say, when we first took off? Was that probably 40 degrees or so down that steep? Oh, yeah, it was at least. Well, it's steep enough that all you had to do is get into a little small cut. Remember, it was just barely little cut, and and you were completely hidden from the animals um, because of, of the steep terrain. It was pretty crazy and gnarly steep. So, so yeah. I first stock of the the hunt, I go down and I don't know what I get twenty four yards. I think you were gonna thought you were gonna watch greatness happen. First stock with a stick, <laughs> and I blow it. I shoot uh, over I, its. I thought it was done and over with. <laughs> well, I. I yeah, certainly you put on you put on a beautiful stock. Yeah, and then I remember it up. that that buck. They even they even got up. They stood up and kind of took a couple steps towards you because I don't know if you remember there was a coyote that came in behind you on that stock, and so I don't know if it's that they caught your movement or they saw that coyote that had come in, you know, probably about forty fifty yards behind you, um, and they had stood up and kind of got curious and walked towards you just a little bit. Uh, when you went and you made that shot uh, well and you can imagine me first stock on, on a good buck i mean it was a four-year-old i would say 160 type buck uh 158 to 162 from my memory is that what you're remembering because you were yep. looking for a 180 yep. type buck yeah no it was it was exactly that it was a good buck and uh all i remember is is the blur of stocks after that first one. And there was probably, what, another 30, 40, 50 stocks that we went on after that. There, well, I, I remember, because we're, we're all there, but it worked out fine. I mean, nobody really got you know, screwed over in the sense of we made the best out of, obviously, four, four knuckleheads in, in one spot. But um, I, I missed that buck, and I, I, I had so much crap going through my mind. And when I hooked up to my string and the deer walking to me, I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. This is a gimme, uh, which I still screwed up. And I, I missed, so I climb out of the hole. I think that started raining. I think we kind of hid for a little bit. And then you got the shot on the big buck. So now we stay on that thing anyway. F- you know, fast forward, you guys, we pack out Frank's deer. Uh, and you guys are coming out as well. 
and I, you guys were making fun of me for waddling. I had heavy weight, and the fact we smell like onions. I don't think we showered for 11 or 12 days. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, Frank and I go out, and then we come back in, and you guys are off the mountain, and we find that first morning, we find the wide buck and his buddy, that big three-by-three. Three. And Frank flags me in. And I come down, and the big buck is 43 yards, which I would shoot now. But at, at the time, you know, I just wasn't as comfortable. And then that 3x3, three three, uh, was it, what, 28 or something? Frank's filming it. My first shot, I hit a branch, and it lands in its armpit. And it just stands up and starts kicking around. But I was shooting feathers at that point, and I sprayed them with, uh, like, upholstery uh, waterproofing. And he took a sniff of those feathers and he didn't want anything. And so Frank's watching the deer right below me, cussing at the camera. Like he, cause he's like, you were kept yelling, look up, I think is what you were saying into the camera. I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. And the big buck is still where he was at. I, I just didn't have a shot at him. He was hard to see the wide buck that Wes had shot, which is the one I wanted to kill, but I wasn't going to complain you know, the buck I ended up killing was seven or eight years old, that big three by three. He just didn't score worth the crap. He's just old. Well, he comes under me by me and I, I shoot him and we're communicating at this point, uh, off smoke signals. Basically I shoot the deer. I, I text Frank on the inreach and it's inreach to inreach. So it's what five minutes to, for it to, and I, I, it says that he looked all ducked up. I think you got him. I think is what you messaged me. And anyway, we get that buck the wide buck is alive and, and fine. Fast forward, I go back in there to try to, to kill that buck, and he's bedded under those big cliffs when we first, that you first walk by, that big plateau. Mm -hmm. yep, and, yep. and I've got five chicks doing yoga 100 yards above him. And mm -hmm. I'm like, this is not good. And, and, and they blow that deer out. I go back to hunt with Frank. I come back out. No one's in the basin now. All the deer hunters have left. All the mule deer or elk hunters are gone. That deer bed's in a spot that's basically a gimme visually through the spotter. I get over there. Um, I get 12 yards above it in the cliffs. My legs are giving out because I'm on a vertical cliff. My calves are starting to shake. I'm like, it's now or never. I'm going to fall off this freaking cliff. Like, I got to stand them up. So I stood them up and tried to gangster style like Deadpool shoot them because my bow, I couldn't have it upright. I shot right over the top of him at 12 yards. And uh, I think Omni, you texted me or Wes three months later, somebody killed the buck uh, and it's, mm -hmm. it's wintering ground. And then I, I cried like a little bitch. That's the short yep. version of that big buck. <laughs> but how many, like you, you mentioned that in your story, like how many lessons learned through all those experiences, right, Aaron? I mean, that, that's what it's, it's like all those failures, you learn almost so much more from the failures and mistakes than you actually do from the success. I still would have preferred killing it, but yeah, you're a hundred percent correct. I mean, <laughs> I, I went back in after we got back from our goat hunt and I went in by myself, Frank was going to come in. I think on day two, I messaged you. I'm like, bro, there's no deer here. And, um, I ended up shooting like 120 inch you know, little four by four on a stock, which I was more than happy with, but I, I, people are having trouble wrapping their head around. When I had talked about that, I learned that, that littler buck, not because it's littler, that, that specific trip, I learned so much more. I learned so much from, because 
I was on multiple bucks with Frank, crazy stocks. I missed that big buck. And then I went back in solo and Frank came in and helped me pack it out. But, and then put a crazy stock, you know, and, and shoot that bucket eight yards. I mean, you can't ask for more than that for a $51 tag. I mean, you got, I got everything you could, including a big ass whooping, you know, out of those, you know, hunts. And you guys have been doing this obviously many years. How many hunts have you guys had like that? Um, you know, where, I mean, you guys aren't afraid to get out there and, and stay multiple days. I was just going to say that, you know, on that exact same hunt where you and I were hunting, if you go back to, and you remember the buck I killed on that hunt, um, I was chasing and I had my mindset on that big wide four by four and I had hit him. And how many days did we spend hunting that thing? I mean, we hunted out basically the rest of that entire hunt chasing him. And then it wasn't until, um, Omni and you, you guys are sitting there and you guys talked me into after you had come back off of a stock, Aaron, I had spotted out another four by four. I had told you, Hey, but you know, you're back. Good job on that stock. Yeah. Sorry you missed. Um, I got another buck for you, but that morning it was probably at least like the third or fourth stock you had been on. And then I had another buck tagged out over here, bedded underneath a tree in a great spot for a stock. And you just looked at me and you're like, dude, I'm too exhausted to go on another one. Your turn. Tag, you're it. And, and if you remember right, you and Omni talked me into that stock. And, and here I am. I'm sitting there I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. I want to chase the buck I'm chasing. And then finally, I think you said something about, well, you're never going to get more experience on these stocks unless you just go or something like, I can't remember exactly how you worded it. Like, fine. And so I throw my pack on, I head off down there, and I start going in. And and long story short, I, I stalked that buck, and uh, I shot the smaller buck in the group. Um, I made the mistake of getting so tunnel-visioned and so narrow-focused. I just wanted to kill something. I was so, like, focused on killing that I did not focus on which buck I was killing. And I shot the smallest buck in the group, right? And he was just a little three by four. Um, nothing big, nothing. But I learned a lot from that. And I learned a lot from that experience. Um, that entire hunt was a really good learning opportunity for me, which has been the same for, for many opportunities that, that we've had in the high country. And I can learn, go back to the very first time I went into the high country and the lot learning opportunities that we've had. Every single hunt, every single hunt. I, I, uh, I probably had eaten so many snacks at that point. You needed to shoot something so I could burn some calories. Cause that sucked packing that out. Um, and that was with three of us. <laughs> it was just steep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's when up. you convinced us. That's when you convinced us that a Caparo pack out pack any other pack. Out oh, there, I was talking sure. mad shit the it's whole like, way up here. with your packs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. True story. Uh, uh, I think, didn't I give you one of my packs to try out? Like I said, here, take this and see what you think or something. I can't remember. No, that's yeah. legitimately what we did is you swapped packs up that mountain as we were packing out my buck. And that's when it was like lights on. The thing is so awesome. Kafaro bag is the way to go. You, while we're talking about pack outs, Omni, the year before, two years before that, in a, in a little bit oh, yeah. uh, different area, you showed me through kind of the, the spotter because it was quite a ways away. Anyway, I came out of that hole without a deer. 
where you shot that deer, fuck that. Mm-hmm. That had to have been bad. Like bad, bad. Like what 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 kind of kick in the ding ding was that pack out? Yeah, that's Wesley's laughing. I, I don't know if I've had a deer pack that hurt as bad as that one. And and we that was one of those where you talk about being young and dumb or I don't know what it is. It's like, well that's the straight line. And it's all the way to the bottom and back to the top to get to the trail. So let's take that because then we don't have to go all the way up and around. And I don't know how many thousands of feet we dropped and gained in that climb. But it was one of those things where we started off on the trail and we kind of split the meat up. And before we even started back up the other side, Wesley and, and you know our other partner, they're like, well, I'm not, you're going to have to carry the rest of the meat. It's all you. Um, that, I don't think I hit the truck that night until almost <laughs> mid, midnight. Um, yeah. Well, so, now, so, so well, what, what I did, I went in there, um, and I was solo and I saw a deer probably not too far from where you shot, you shot yours. I saw multiple deer. I went out down there and I got, you know, I, you know, at that time I wasn't, um, it was still, you know, a little bit earlier in the season and I don't, um, I, I wasn't wanting to shoot, you, you know, like the deer I ended up killing, I didn't want to shoot yet. So when I dropped in there, I couldn't find the big buck. And I, I had two of the smaller bucks at like, you know, 18 and 26. And, and I'm just waiting for this, the big buck to stand. It didn't stand. And anyway, they all blew out. So I'm like, well, they did it with a deer on. It's probably quicker to just shoot straight across and hit this trail and I'll loop back. Yeah, like the entire time, all I was like, I can't believe yeah. they packed a deer out of this shit. This is, and there was deadfall and and it just a lot of crap in the way climbing out of that hole. Yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again. If if I remember right, though, Wesley left his rangefinder at the kill yep. site, and when I went back in, I actually dropped off, climbed up to that spot, but I didn't have, I wasn't carrying the weight at that point, so that was probably the only advantage. Um, yeah, so yeah. I might have done that twice. He, he's done that mm-hmm. exact same thing twice. Um, yeah. And I appreciate it. It saved me from having to buy a new rangefinder. I was actually willing to pay for a new rangefinder, <laughs> but I think he felt obligated to the fact that we packed out his buck. He's like, yeah. uh, I'll go yeah. pick up his rangefinder instead. Uh, but yeah, that mm-hmm. that spot is is what you could deem. It, it, that's a hellhole to try to get that's in that's, and out of that spot. That's probably a testament of how stupid we really are, Aaron. Like, we'll do it not once, but twice, right? And so usually smart people learn after the first one. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking yeah. up the steep slope you got to climb to get back to the glassing point to go up and over, and then I'm looking over to where the trail is, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to climb straight up this. I'll just kind of zigzag. And yeah, bad move, not a shortcut. It was I would have been way better off to just shoot straight up to the summit. Uh, and just take my time. But yeah, when I was going through that, I'm like, good Lord, that really had to suck. Cause I mean, you had to come, been coming out of that hole with a hundred pounds. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been good, but, um, Frank, it's, you, that, go it's ahead. so steep. It's so steep that it's basically, you know, you're, you're on all fours trying to get up that. And then if you throw into the fact that, yeah, we were carrying heavy weight, but also I'll go back to the packs that we were using are, definitely inferior to your pack. So, you know, it definitely would have been a lot easier with the Kafaro on our back. Good gosh, I can't tell you the number of times I had to stop and, and just relax and try to get the pressure off my back when we were coming up out of that really deep hole. 
Yeah, it's, it's um, I'm not going to mention the name of the pack because I'm going to get all kinds of memes because I did wear your pack uh, out of that hole <laughs> so you could try mine. That would have been that would have been a great social media upload me wearing that thing. But um, one of the th- well, you know, while, you know, while we're on here, all on here, I mean, you know, we've all done really, really stupid stuff to 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 bring an animal home. Frank, you solo on the 11th or 12th day you shot that big crazy wide buck here what was that nine miles out for you solo in a rainstorm yeah it was nine or ten miles i I split it up that evening i did uh three and then i camped out close to the trail and did the the rest (laughs) the next day but yeah it it rained overnight and there there had been uh some cattle in the area so they tore up the trail so yeah it was a pretty tough pack out wasn't 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 the funnest pack out (laughs) well I think when people hear this, it's it's kind of like explaining a, adrenaline when they first, you know, like trying to prep somebody for what to expect when an animal's first in front of them. You know, like I tried to get my wife prepped for it, and it I, words don't do it. Well, when you hear, you know, a, a distance or a, a hike out, I, I don't think until people are like in the midst of doing it on their own, how much of an an ass whooping and a toll it's taking on your you know, your, your, your body and, uh, Frank, um, underplays pretty, pretty much, you know, everything. But, uh, when I say that meaning, obviously Frank's, uh, you know, much like you guys, not, not a big bragger, but I, I mean, I would be willing to, to bet that if you put 10 people, um, on the mountain and, and I'm not trying to over-exaggerate, you know, what, what all of our abilities are, most people can't do what, what some of the things we're doing until they've experienced that failure and know what they've got ahead of them. If that makes any sense, like until you've gotten your ass kicked back there, you really don't know what kind of physical, physical exertion, what you're expecting on stocks, how many calories you're burning. It's hard to describe in words. Oh yeah. Here's a story we'll share and we can share this because he's our brother and we love him. Um, But we've got Wesley and I, there's four of us boys total. And so our baby brother, who's 10 years younger than us, he actually went on a Colorado high country hunt with us last year. Um, and we warned him and we tried to prepare him, but he was coming. So he lives up in Oregon. He lives near sea level. And what a change that is to come from sea level and then go hunt at 13,000 feet. And it kicked his butt getting to camp. Like, he was dragging getting to camp. It finally got to the point of, like, look, Saban, you're going to have to just keep walking. we got to go set up camp so we can get our packs off of us. And then we went back down the trail, grabbed his pack, helped him back up to camp. He ended up killing a buck um, day one or day two of the hunt. And it was just him and I when we killed his buck. And we split the buck in half and we're packing it out back to camp. And we were going and it was just so slow. It was killing me to wait that long. And so I'm like, Saban, I got to get to camp. I can't take this long. You know, I'm, I'm gone. And so I, I got all the way back to camp, and I, Wesley was there, and he's like, where's Saban at? And I'm like, he's back on the trail, man. If you want to go help him, you can help him, but I'm too tired, and, and I'm not going to care anymore. Well, Saban shows up, and he doesn't even have the deer. He unloaded his deer <laughs> on the backside of the mountain, and he's like, I'll go back and get it later. And I'm like, Saban, you can't do that, dude. You've got to get it out. Um, and I'll tell you, he's an athlete, right? Out of all of us, he's the one that went to college to play baseball. He's 10 years younger than me, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I love him to death, but it just goes to show it's, and, and it's in saving, but you've got to push through. And it, not everybody has that. I don't know if you classify it as grit or what it is, but um, 
you know, it, it, you find a different level of yourself in that high country, in that back country, when you have to bear through experiences like that. And it's not, you don't go do it for like the pure joy. It's more of a, it's more of a passion and, or a love that just kind of ingrains in your DNA. And it's either there or it's not there. There's a lot of people, it is not in them. Um, I, I think, which is fine, it, you know. Frank, you, that's the number one reason Frank, I mean, Frank, you, it doesn't bother you that I'm back there, but you prefer to be alone until you, that's like your, your mental test every year to go do a couple week solo backpack hunt, you know, for, for mule deer and, and you, Frank, you in, enjoy that. Yeah. I think it's just a, a it is like you said, a, a mental test. It's testing yourself and see what you can pull off on your own. I like I like, I enjoy hunting with friends and hunting with you and, and family and stuff like that throughout the year. And I do plenty of those hunts later on as well. But I, the mule deer thing's always been kind of like a, it has just been like a mental and a physical test just to see what I'm capable of. And, um, it is super gratifying to be able to spot a deer, go in on a stock and get it all done solo. It's a lot of fun that way. And, and it, it, it is, uh, definitely a, a mental struggle, but when you accomplishment, accomplish it it is it is very gratifying as a major accomplishment i feel like i think um you know trying to put when i went back in and shot that deer that's one of the reasons it was so cool mike by no means it would have taken nothing away from me to have frank uh with me to help you know help out um you know but when you again beating an animal on his own game you know with the bow primitive equipment compound whatever you know, and you know, you're back six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven miles, and then you, you know, you, it's something you're never going to forget. And I, I try, I'm not the best motivational speaker in the world, and, and I'm never good at like Gritty in the Hell or Donnie Vincent and the shit out of something, but you don't forget those things. They're stuck in your life forever. When I shot that deer that year, I, I, you know, where I was at, Frank, and you guys would know if I explained it. I had that little Bane day pack and I, I, I was too lazy to go back and get my big pack. Uh, so I, you know, I left it. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm not, I'll find a way. So I'm just jammed that little day pack and it looks like I'm, you know, I'm carrying bags of fruit cause I got game bags in my hands and <laughs> you know, the bow is wrapped around my neck and I made it up and over and I, and I'm not trying to overdraw. It's not like my life was in jeopardy, right? It's just a gut check, but you don't forget those types of things and, and you learn so much from them like you learn to not talk to randy cooling for too long while the storm's coming in because then i got stuck in a snowstorm and i i could have been <laughs> an hour ahead but i was reliving glory days talking to randy about the stock storm comes in and now i mean frank when you came in that day it was it snowed i mean it's cold it was cold yeah it was below freezing definitely yeah. yeah it was really cold yeah but but with 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 uh for, uh omni what why don't you talk about <laughs> your your uh a death-defying, lightning-filled sheep hunt. Um, when you were in there on that sheep hunt, that was probably one of the some of the tougher terrain. I'm assuming you've probably hunted before, wasn't it? Oh, no doubt, Aaron. I mean, you know the unit, you know the terrain very well. Um, I've yeah, I, I've never been in a physically demanding unit like that country. It's just incredible. Everything straight up and down. Um, I think even when I I missed the sheep actually on that hunt, and after I shot at that sheep. Um, I think I was actually grateful that we did not harvest that sheep on that side, on that side of that mountain because of the lightning storm, the rain that rolled in and the, just the steepness of the train and, and that lightning storm that night, you knew that you kind of warned me about it before the sheep hunt, but 
the lightning storm will cause you just to kind of curl up in the fetal position, hoping that you're going to make it through the, the night, you know, praying. So, yeah, it's, it's nuts. That mountain is something else. Yeah, it's, two it's, things it's, on that mountain. It's the mosquitoes trying to get up out of timber. Yeah, right. The mosquitoes will freaking carry you away, and then it's also the lightning up on top. There's people that die on that mountain every single year, right? I mean, they 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 have yep. rescue teams that go in and extract people off of that mountain range every single year. And I think before we even went on your sheep hunt all night, there had already been four people that had died trying to climb some of those fourteeners. And yeah, there was, it, it's a no joke. I'm not, what were you going to say? I, Wesley had just touched on it. On two of my scouting trips, they actually flew helicopters in to recover people that die on two of my scouting trips that summer. So, yeah, when you get off the mountain and it's like, what was that helicopter about? And you pull it up on your phone to see what's going on. You find out search and rescue. And the next day they post that somebody actually fell off of a mountain or off of a cliff. It's a, it's a legitimate mountain. You don't screw around in that unit. That that unit is the number one reason I started packing an ice axe, and it wasn't for climbing. Even though spots it's handy, it was to dig out seeps because there's no freaking water up top, um, mm-hmm. and dig out beds to you know for for sleeping. And when I say I, it's a walking stick ice axe, I mean and it is handy in there. But some of the different terrain that you know, no matter where you go, let's say you go to I don't know North Idaho, you're dealing with deadfall and rain. Uh, you know, you, you not altitude. You get to Colorado, there isn't deadfall or underbrush so much in, in Colorado. You're you're dealing with, you know, altitude, which then will probably make you drop things out of your pack that you may wish later on that you, you kept. Or the physical issue of it of, you know, sometimes you can't go but 20 feet at a time and you got to take a break when you're up at 13,000, especially with a weighted pack on. And so, you know, verbally telling people this and, and – not beautifying it, but guys have asked me, you know, what's backpack hunting like? And I'm like, well, if you really like sleep deprivation and a physical beating and <laughs> hopes to might get a shot at an average animal, you'll love it. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, you have to have the mindset for it. And, and obviously all of us, all of us do. And, and there are times, um, I mean, I don't know for, for me, I, I've learned to kind of there's times I'll just lay down and sleep all day. Like I, 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 you know, I say that, I mean, there's times that I nap all day just to recover. When I was younger, I wasn't as capable of that, but you know, you got to enjoy what you're doing. And occasionally when you get your ass kicked for four or five days, there's some days you just need to lay there for a while. And it, I, I think some of the Western guys that come out West to hunt fly into their area, physically burn themselves out. And by day three, they're coming off the mountain because they just physically, can't take you got to pace yourself i guess what i'm getting at it is an endurance right it's very much an endurance in the high country so it's not a sprint no no it's it's not what um you know uh bow setups and everything because guys will probably ask about that what are you guys shooting uh you know both of you as far as your your bow arrow sight all that stuff go for it Wes. i'll let you go first uh well so i uh i'm sticking with and, and i like my point um I've tried a lot of different bows, and, and all night I tinkered around with a lot of bows this year, but I'm going to stick with, and I'm shooting my RX-1. Um, I just really, over the years, tried the different ones, the RX-3, the RX-4, um, and the Ventum that all night shooting is pretty sweet, and I'll let him talk about it. It really is, but I'm sticking with my RX-1 for the moment, um, shooting it at just about 80 pounds, um, trying you know to, to push a little bit of extra speed so that I can have a little less 
uh, pin gap, make my errors a little bit less known whenever I'm shooting at an animal. And then I'm shooting pierced arrows, um, trying to get as much weight as I possibly can. So going with the heavy spine and adding a little extra weight up front uh, to increase a little bit of that FOC, but I'm not a big FOC chain chaser. So I'm not pushing it by any means uh, to the high extreme. And that's pretty much it. So I don't know. I don't know what other. I'll let you go on to other stuff on there. Yeah. So Wesley and I are, we're very much Hoyt fans. And it's really just for the durability and, and then accuracy of the bows. But so I, I've shot, I actually have two different hunting bows that I'm tinkering right now. I have an RX4 Ultra from last year and then a Venom 33. The more and more I shoot my Venom 33, the more I've actually enjoyed and, and just the accuracy. It, I think it's actually a quieter bow. We've been thinking around measuring uh, sound on the bows and the arrows, trying to just find the right setup for us this year. And that Venom 33 seems to be a little bit quieter. So I, I shoot that at 80 pounds. Like Wesley, I shoot a gold tip Pierce arrow, uh, 300 spine, but I'm not the guy that adds the extra FOC. I just like the shaft as it is. And then Gold, um, Grim Reaper Broadheads, we've just been a fan of Grim Reapers for years. Uh, um, just an expandable head, super sharp blade, very accurate. And then um, I actually tried, because they have the Picatinny rail on, on the Venom 33 this year, I, I'm shooting an HHA uh, movable sight, a slider slide. Are you, that HHA, I have not messed around with those uh, you know, much. Obviously, now I'm not screwing around with, with compound stuff quite as much as I used to. I've heard a lot of like HHA at one time I was not a big fan of, and I've heard they've like really, you know, come around and offer a, a pretty amazing product. I can't say that firsthand. I mean, if you picked it, obviously you can shoot whatever you want. What were the bonuses of that? I mean, what, what made you go to that? You know, I, I like the concept of the Picatinny rail that Hoyt did. Um, I just feel like things kind of lock in and really tight. And then I like the center line and the balance that it brings to the bow. Um, I, I've worked on my HHA to kind of just make sure everything's tight and quiet, and I feel like I probably even got it, uh, my sight quieter than the sights I was shooting in previous years. It's only a, the one thing I've, I've been a little bit nervous about is I've shot five pins for so many years, so you get into that habit. You know, we talk about just ingraining things and they become second nature, but my habit has always been that my bottom pin is 60 yards, and now with the four pin, my bottom pin is 50 yards. So I've been really trying to shoot that bow a lot at that 50 and 60 yards to just ingrain to myself the differences. Um, but, you know, and I, I, it, I can shoot a real small diameter, like a 10,000th pin, and the HHA has that option as well. So overall, I've been very pleased with it. Um, I think I even dropped my bow the other day, and the, and the sight was still on. So that was encouraging. And then, um, you know, obviously you guys are running our, our packs now, but... Wesley, you actually hand sewed a mini sawtooth because um, <laughs> uh, yep. uh, Wesley's a, a, a an inventive little guy. Um, I was looking down and I'm like, "Oh, it's a sawtooth." And I looked in the binos. I'm like, "I don't think that's a sawtooth." And then I started talking with you, and you needed obviously something smaller, so you sewed your your own up, and it's basically kind of like a mini sawtooth, isn't it? Yeah, you, you got it. So Aaron, I love to tinker with stuff. Hence the reason why we started making these stock and shoes is I, if I, I find that there's a gear product that I want and it's not there, I do something to fix it. And so 
I absolutely love your sawtooth design of, of your guys' uh, tent. It's phenomenal. It's great at cutting the wind. Um, it's great for space, right? If you're using it for space, it's a perfect type of shelter. But I wanted a one-man sawtooth. And so I basically took that same model. I mocked it up. I sewed it up. Uh, on my own, you know, did everything I needed to, steam filled it, and it works great. I love the floorless shelter. Um, I'm one of those big fans that I like. To, I'm a minimalist. I like to go with the floorless shelter if I possibly can. And it's weathered some pretty stinking heavy storms. Um, it's worked out pretty well for me. I've tried some different options over the years, and uh, I, I'm ready for Aaron Snyder and, and for Grafaro to start making some some stinking awesome tents. I'm ready for you guys to start doing that. And uh, you guys already make some really good shelters. Don't get me wrong, but I'm talking like um, up, upgrading some of the single man and double man, you know, shelters that, that there's the ability to do just a little bit more. And I, I don't know if you guys, I, I pushed you on that that hunt and asked you, are are you going to make some? Are you guys working on it? Yeah, yeah. We what kind of the problem? I don't. And Frank can chime in on this. Patrick was pretty a-okay with what we were you know offering and so really the moment that that um uh, my business partners and i you know purchased the company we we dove right into you know working on you know shelters and we'd been asked a lot by people you know to to do so and and we just couldn't really take off with it until about eight nine months ago um but it's going well i mean we've got we've got some on the way and we're gonna expand even more we've you know the pack thing's going extremely well so we're going to start focusing on the, the shelter stuff a little more. You know, the thing is, we don't, we, we run what's most applicable. It kind of throws guys off where meaning if it's uh, a flat tarp and a bivy, uh, a, a Hilleberg, I mean, we just run what's most applicable um, at that time for that specific hunt. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're always going to run a, a Kafaru. I mean, obviously on a floorless shelter we are, but some hunts I wouldn't want to sleep in a floorless shelter. Other hunts they're they're great, and y- you got to know what you're getting into, and then just kind of assess from there. And I mean, I would say that we've probably ran. I run a flat tarp when it's really hot, um, you know, and then I'll, I'll run when it's snowing, like a, a regular teepee with a stove. And then when it's extreme, we can't burn wood. I run a, a Hilleberg. Um, I mean, I think Omni, were you running a copper spur or something? What were you running for a shelter? Yeah, I've had a couple different ones. So I usually run a big Agnes tent. I, I, I'm a little bit different than Wesley. I like having a floor and the full, maybe even a double wall. And so I'll typically run a Fly Creek um, is, is the, the tent that I typically run, a big Agnes Fly Creek. Gotcha. I actually left my shelter in uh, uh, Undercover Man's uh, Fender Well because I, I was letting him use it, and then he didn't get my text yeah. in time, so it's laying on the road somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> did Somebody he tell you that? It. Somebody picked it up off the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, I didn't. it didn't bug me. I was laughing. He's like, dude, I got your text too late. And I'm like, oh, huh, that didn't work out like I hoped. Because I couldn't, like, leave it on the hood, right? Somebody would have stole it. But, um, yeah, I, the, the shelter thing or footwear or clothing, everybody's – there's kind of base – outlines you want to follow but after that it's really personal you know preference and too some of it's how much you can suffer and how long you're going like I don't mind using a really flat small tarp and a bivy for a short trip but if I was doing a 10 12 day backpack hunt I probably actually not go with a lighter weight option when I say lighter weight meaning the extreme minimalist because I 
you know, I can suffer through anything for two, three, four days, you know, 10, 11, 12, staying kind of mentally on top of it. I don't want to suffer as much. So I will suffer a little bit more on the hike in and that's personal preference. Other people might be different. Yeah. That's, yeah you're exactly, that's exactly right. right. And that's when, when people talk about gear, gear reviews and application, that, I think that's what people have to keep into consideration is like every application is different and every situation is different. That, that's what's so cool about bow hunting or even, you know, any outdoor type activities is there's so much gear on the industry out there and you, you just get to pair up what's the right product for your style, for your hunt, for your application. And it's so variable. Um, it, it's, you, you can't always just apply a, a one size or one rule to all applications. No, a hundred, hundred percent. And Frank, Frank mentioned it earlier about the fact that, uh, you know, like he loves his high country hunts for the fact of the physical and mental reset and, and test of your abilities. And I even, I enjoy it just for the tinkering with gear. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. fun to put together your gear, your packet, like the whole package, everything you're going to take with you. You know, test one piece around. If it works, you keep it. If it doesn't work, you toss it out and try something new. And and part of me is I, I absolutely love that. I love to tinker around with our gear, try new things, um, see what's going to work. Sometimes they're epic fails, and sometimes they're like <laughs> huge successes. Yeah, I um, I've definitely at this point now, like uh, and and, and Frank even more so. I, I test a lot of different stuff, but man, ninety nine percent of the time, I generally go back to what's what's worked for me. And I don't, I don't do sp- spreadsheets, Frank. I think you're even worse than I am about that. Like I, and when I do these backcountry seminars and talk about this, there's kind of like a, this progressive level of you have the poverty level where you just have to use whatever you can. Cause you're broke and you'll hit a 007 gear tinkering video where you got way too much crap in your pack and you're trying stuff cause you can afford it, but it generally find out most of it sucks or doesn't, isn't needed. And then kind of in the end, I, I feel that you end up with, you don't need spreadsheets so much. You don't need, I mean, your gear is your gear and it's going in your pack and whatever it weighs, it weighs. I mean, obviously you're cognizant of the weight of it, but meaning you know what you need and, you know, I don't even need a gear list anymore. I know what's going in the pack. Frank, you pack at the freaking trailhead a lot just with the stuff in your duffel bag. And um, <laughs> I, I, I'm at this point now I've got a shelf, it's got my primary stuff and, I can pack for a 12 day trip and I don't know, 30 minutes, right? It doesn't, you know what I mean? You get so used to it when you're doing it. And I try to look back when I was newer at this and that, um, I don't want to say you're enamored, but you're the unknown and, you know, throwing a set of pants in for every day of a seven day hunt. Some of the dumber things that I probably did at one time that people still do. Um, some of the different things like we go in, you guys are no different. It's Spartan. I don't, and I don't think people realize how Spartan it is what you're packing in for 12 days. It's, it's pretty minimal. Yeah. You find out what you really don't need when you have to carry it on your back. Well, and that's one thing I tell people is if you haven't used something in your pack in the last two or three trips, then take it out of your pack generally. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and when the thing is, is when you don't get to do it all the time, I'll have guys get a hold of me and it's it's you guys, and I'm sure you guys get the same thing. Far across the spectrum, you have these little, you have these guys that get stuck. Um, you have the the ultra lightweight weenie guys. I'm going in ten days, twenty seven pounds, and I'm like, my my optics weigh twenty seven pounds. Like, there's no way I could do, you know. 
Um, but but that's their yeah. deal, like crazy lightweight. And then you have the other guys that are like, well, 10 days, I'm at 74 pounds. And I'm like, oh, you're not going to like that Ouch. at all. And, and yep. there's just that point you find what you need and what you don't. I mean, kind of going around the loop, Frank, for 7 to 10 days, what's your what's your pack way? Well, optics and everything, but not weapon. Yeah, closer to 10 days, I'm probably looking at in that 60-pound range, I would guess. I don't weigh my stuff, but food weighs a lot of a lot and yeah and especially when you add in your bow to your pack it's going to be up in that 70 pound range i would guess so yeah with the weapon yeah yeah well and what frank just said is the same thing i don't weigh mine anymore either because it all it does is depress you and i know i need everything in that pack so it's not like i can take anything out and i, I think when i went back in that last trip where you met me i was going in for seven days and with optics and everything for seven days, I was at 58 pounds with my camera gear. And that was about as Spartan as I could go. And I eat a lot as part of the problem. But uh, what about you guys? So really, I think, uh, yeah, same thing, Aaron. I think that we're oftentimes in that, that uh, seven to 10 day range. We're running our packs right in that 55 to 60 pounds. Um, if you're, you know, adding up everything that we throw in. Optics is definitely the highest in terms of, you know, weight ratio item that's in my bag. Um, we've been able to do pretty good at our food. So several years back, Almond and I uh, took opportunity to buy a freeze dryer, and we make a lot of our own meals, and it's really improved our diet while we're out there. And we're, you know, we're making our own meals and, and eating pretty good while we're on the mountain. Um I'm with you. I'm a lover of food. You know, I, you probably can't see it stature because I'm not a big guy, but, um, I love and I want good. And if I don't eat well, I don't perform well. I feel like crap. And I'm, I'm one of those individuals that I'll just want to get off the mountain and go grab some good food and I'll start craving food if I'm not eating right. So there's been a big shift in our packing and then our diet by just getting the right food into our pack and uh, that kept us on the mountain a lot longer and allowed us to stay going a lot longer by just having the right foods in there so probably like that 55 to 60 pound range just depending on the hunt uh, like you said what we're putting in the pack if, if it's uh, more heavy on the optics or less heavy on the optics that shifts the weight just a little bit much more than that, Aaron. I, I can't. I like mean, it. It hurts if you get much more than sixty pounds, and you're going to try to carry it in for multiple miles. Um, at least for me. And when I say hurts, like it's my feet are going to be sore, my body my, is going to be sore, and, and it, it just takes a beating. And so, if you can keep your pack in that fifty to sixty for me, and maybe I just don't work out enough. That, that's kind of my sweet spot. So. And, and Wesley's right. The biggest difference for us has really been the food. We feel like we've kind of been able to just trim weight out of our pack, but also make sure that we're eating good food. So we freeze-dry most of our meals, our meals that we eat all year long, and we just freeze-dry those type of meals. And that's what we're taking back in the backcountry. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think anybody listening in is probably just getting the general idea. You, you got to do it to, to become really good at it and you can read all you want about it, but it's, uh, uh, I've, I've used this analogy before, which probably isn't the best, but it's kind of like the, the first time you have sex, it's going to go by real quick. You're not really going to know what you're doing. 
you're just going to want to do it again, but you're not sure why. And then the more you get to do it, the better you are at it. <laughs> Backpack hunting is a lot like that, especially if you put an animal in front of you. It's going to be mostly a blur, and the entire thing is going to be a learning experience if you let it be. Um, just you do them enough, then you it's not you know, you know it, you you've got a good good idea of what you like and what some people may think they like may change after the first couple trips. You might be an ultralight weight weenie and then a storm hits and all of a sudden you're like, you know, I don't mind packing some extra weight. Things <laughs> things change yeah. all the time. Yep. Yeah. I mean oh, yeah. I, I, I talk about this in seminars. I think we could all could agree. It's almost like the military, they base everything off the previous war. So if you had a really bad hike in, you carry too much weight. When you come out, you're assessing and trying to figure out how to go lighter. You go extremely lightweight on the next trip, but then 40-mile-an-hour winds and a snowstorm comes, and you're like, okay, this ultralight thing sucks. And somewhere eventually you figure out exactly what you need uh, each time you go, but you have to go to learn what you need. And there's, I don't think you can cheat that system. You can pretend. You can lie. You can repeat what people say on the Internet. But until you're out there doing it, you just you just don't know. Frank, you're smiling. Yep, you what am I thinking? Uh, my buddy from back home, he got a GoPro for one Christmas um, from his girlfriend or from his parents or something. And me and his brother would always say, you got to go to GoPro. Because <laughs> he, ba- he, he, yeah. he had all this badass gear, but he never used it. Yeah. And we're like, dude, you got to go to GoPro. You know, you're like, <laughs> you, you can't just sit at home tinkering with all your gear you got to go and use it and learn how to use it and uh yeah you're not going to use it from sitting at home that's that's probably a t-shirt you you can't become professional on an online forum yeah yeah you, you, you gotta go, go you gotta go to go pro <laughs> uh, i like that yeah well guys we're we're getting close to an hour and a half here so why don't uh, let everybody know where where they can find the company uh where they could find you guys uh, as far as social media reach out for asking questions um you know, ship times, are you going to be pumping these things out soon? Like, what, what's all going on with that? Yeah, so I can dive into that a little bit, Aaron. So we uh, we can be found on, on social media. Um, we have developed and we have a Google Outdoors Instagram, Facebook um, page. So if you're interested in and you've got questions, you, anyone can hit us up on those social media pages. We're in the process of... Uh, finishing up the final stages of getting everything live with a website. Um, and that'll be guloutdoors.com. And we should be having that website going here pretty soon. Um, and then, you know, I'll get through our media pages. So uh, Wesley Warner is, is mine on Instagram. And then I think if you just search for Omni Warner on Instagram um, and or Facebook, that'll pick us up where we can be available for any questions if anyone has them on the Google Stalkers. And we tried to, Aaron, we tried to put our phone numbers out there. You know, if anybody has questions, they can obviously just send us an instant message on Instagram, but they can they can call us, text us, whatever they want um, if they have any questions. So, And, and you know, we one, one thing we touched on is we recognize this is probably not going to be something for everybody. Um, we're not trying to hit a market or something that everybody, we're not trying to find a way that we can just mass produce and mass sell. The, the shoes that we're making are handcrafted. Wesley and I are literally cutting everything out and sewing it together. So it's not something that we like instantly have the option to turn out volume and just crank out thousands in a day. 
we have regular jobs. We, we do, we support our family. We feed our family through a regular job. This is just something that we saw as an off, a, a gap that we thought we could help fill for certain people that are interested. Gotcha. Well, and then it's uh, Omni, O-M-N-I, Warner um, on social media, and then Wesley Warner um, as well. If you guys, I don't know how much you're wanting people to pester you on your personal pages, uh, but don't <laughs> pester me. Ask them. Um, so, <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate the friendship, guys, and, and uh, I'd say for, for running into you know, three guys on the side of a mountain, um, you know, back in 18, it actually worked out really well. And, and obviously we've developed quite a bit of a friendship uh, since then. So I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys hopping on the podcast. Yeah. Echo the same sentiments. Aaron, thank you so much. You too, Frank. Yeah. Thank you guys. I'm sure I'll appreciate see you guys both. You're awesome. Keep it up. I'll Keep see you. Good year, Aaron. I'll see you guys Welcome on the mountain. Follow. Yeah, yeah, Frank. Frank hopes he does not see you on the mountain. I, I, I do know that, no matter what <laughs> bullshit he's feeding right now. But, oh, Lord. Well, you guys take it easy. We appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Stay safe.